This is the Mount Carmel Christian Church Podcast. Today, Senior Minister Dee Bacon will be teaching the message. They asked me to sit on a stool because I bounce around too much, so it's like keeping me still. Well, good morning. It's hard to believe that this is the last Sunday of 2020. Woo, yeah. Well, we can be, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, I heard this statement that was, uh, I thought, really good. It was a statement uh, regarding when your children are young. It said, when your kids are young, the days are long and the years are short. Those of you who have had raised children, you, I think that captures it well. But I think 2020 is the same way. It seems like 2020 has been, the days have been long, but the year has been short in many ways. I can't believe it is the end. I hope you had a great Christmas, and I hope uh, you're looking forward to a, a good celebration of, uh, of the end of 2020 and the beginning of 2021 in that. If you have uh, made the decision to join us on site and online, I want to let you know. My name is Didi Bacon, and I'm the senior minister here, and it falls upon me to guide us through uh, towards the end of a series that we've been working through, working through the Christmas story, and uh, the series entitled Hope of the World, talking about the light that Jesus brings to the world of darkness. It's hope, and it brings life. When I was uh, maybe 11, 12, somewhere around there, I was blessed by my aunt with this massive fish tank. Uh, at that time, I had somewhat of an inc- thought that maybe I would be a marine biologist. The unfortunate thing is Zimbabwe, Africa is a landlocked country, no ocean, so it doesn't work. Um, but I thought I'd be a marine biologist, so I loved this fish tank, and it was a huge fish tank. It, it occupied this whole, pretty much this one, one wall in my room, and I used to enjoy watching the fish. It's nothing more relaxing. The light on and the fish swimming peacefully around and observing them do their things and the sound of the bubbling and the, and the hum of, the, of the, the air tank and all the air pump. and it, It's just something very sm- smooth, uh, soothing, and, and enjoyable. Well, I really got into this fish tank, got the fish tank. Of course, you have to have the right water, get the water in the right way. You have to set the all the little rocks and the sand and everything on the bottom, and you set up your decorations, and you have um, the, air f- the filter system to keep things clean, and you make sure you have the right oxygenating plants, because I was what I was into. Of course, the plants always brought the little snails with them that you had to, to watch. And then uh, the best thing was to buy the fish, and went down to the, the, you know, the pet store, and we bought the guppies and the garamis, and the neon tetras and the zebra fish and the angel fish that you have to watch because they like to eat everything. So maybe they weren't angels, more like demons. But anyway, um, I loved uh, the fact that I bought a little eel. It was black and had little uh, orange spots on it. And this thing would go underneath and, and, and to find the eel every now and then was a great thing. And then the placastomus. How many of you are familiar with the placastomus fish? It's the fish that's got a little sucker on the front and its job was to eat algae on the sides of the glass. And I just used to love watching them eating up. They were just so much fun. They weren't very good at cleaning the place, though, but they were fun to watch. 
So I love my, my fish tank and I had a lot of joy with it, but soon realized, and it's a lesson that many of us come to, that the joy and responsibility of having a fish tank also had its downside. And the downside was I had to clean the stinking tank fairly regularly. I had to make sure the water was always filled up. I had to feed my fish and had the responsibility of caring for them. And then they got sick. Who knew that fish got these little things called white spot on them? And then you had to treat the water and you had to make sure that, that everything was healthy and, and safe and, and everything like that. And then the fish would kill each other, eat each other, which is not fun. And I was 12 years old and, you know, restocking my fish tank was not cheap. So that was a burden. And so after a while, the joy of having a fish tank soon became outweighed by the fact that there was this burden of responsibility to keep the fish tank healthy and clean and safe for fish to live in. And once the burden of the fish tank overcame the joy and the newness of having the fish tank, I'm like, okay, I've had enough, and I sold my fish tank away. But isn't that life? And it's a good lesson for a 12-year-old to, to have at that time that responsibility. Why? Because we learn that every good thing that we have in life, every good thing that we live for by life, typically has a definite upside. That's why we have it. But there is always a responsibility side, a burden side, a work side that requires hard grinding, tough work, tough decisions, sacrifice. Every good thing comes with the responsibility of keeping that good thing uh, alive and healthy and good, right? So that puppy that's, oh, so cute, not so great, is not so great when you have to clean up the messes while you're house training, right? And barks incessantly and chews everything, and you have to train it. And then it grows up, and it eats a lot of food. And then you take it to the vet bill, and you're like, what? I, you, you're robbing me, and you haven't, got, haven't even got a gun, all right? Uh, that, well, marriage. I mean, everyone's excited to get married, and they get married, and everything is hunky-dory. I, I talk to young couples all the time. Everything is going to be great. And then I have this warning to them. I said, you know what you think is cute and adorable right now? Those, oh, we, we complete each other. Opposites attract. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Just wait. Because what you think is cute now is going to be a surefire annoyance tomorrow when you're married and you have to live with that. Oh, he's so creative. No, he's just messy, right? Oh, she's so spontaneous. No, she just uh, doesn't think before she acts, right? Now, this happens for us in, I think, in our walk with Christ sometimes in our Christian walk. You know, the Bible describes Jesus usually with a twofold uh, title, Lord and Savior. Have you heard that? Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior. We understand the word Savior, right? Savior means the forgiver, the one by which if we believe in him because he died on the cross and rose from the dead three days later, gives us the gift of salvation. We get to have life because of our faith in Jesus. We get to be made right with God because of faith in Jesus. We get the promise of eternal life, forgiveness of sins, the, the gift of the Spirit within us, all because Jesus is Savior. And it's because Jesus is Savior is why we celebrate Christmas. We give gifts to one another to celebrate the coming of the great gift of God into our world through Jesus. Jesus is Savior. He's the forgiver. And we like that. 
It's good. But he's also Lord. And what Lord means is king, boss, CEO, leader. And we love Jesus as Savior for what he gives to us, but sometimes we're not so sure about this Jesus is Lord, Jesus is leader thing. Sure, he can be our leader when he leads us to do things and asks us to do things that we're okay with doing, but what happens when his word challenges what we want to do? We're not so sure about Jesus as leader when he begins to interfere with our relationship choices or our bedroom practices or our money habits or our entertainment choices or our use of language or dealing with things that deeply hurt and upset us or the way we are to be as a spouse as a husband or a wife, as a parent or a child. And that's where it begins to be a little bit of a rub. That's where we start to really squirm a bit because we're like, I like Jesus as forgiver, but now Jesus is leader. I'm not so sure about that. I'm not sure I want that. You know, the Christmas story we're going to talk about really focuses on the fact that Jesus is not only Savior, this child born in Bethlehem is not only going to be the means by which we will benefit for eternal life, but also communicates very, very clearly that Jesus is the King, and as the King, if we're to receive life, we can live by the life He gives to us by following Him, which may mean at times we will have to make the decision to follow Jesus even though it may mean that we're not doing what we think we would want to do and think we can have the best in life in our terms, right? We're going to be talking about the story of the coming of the Magi to wrap up our series about Jesus, the hope of the world. The wise men. Some of you may say, the three kings from the east. Now, I want to set the tone before we get into the text, but I want to set the tone of what was happening at the time to help bring some depth to the reading we're about to, to go into so that you can really see that the point that Matthew is trying to make is this, is that Jesus, this child born, is the king, and if he's the king, we have to make a decision not only to accept him as savior, but we will also have to include the fact that he will be leader and is called to be our leader whom we will follow in life, for life. So the story of the Magi begins with Jesus in Bethlehem, and uh, at that time, first century, you have to understand the political situation of the world at the time. If you take a big step back, you'll see that there were two superpowers. There was, in the West, uh, the Romans, and we're familiar with the Romans, we're familiar with uh, the rule of Caesar and all that, but we don't often talk about the other superpower at the time, the Parthians in the East. And the Parthians were based in what is now modern-day Iran. The, they took their, their, their cues from the empire of Persia, which went, went to all the way to Babylon. But this is this empire that, that basically was from, from per, Iran in the Middle East, and it went all the way to the edge of China. It was a massive empire. And the Parthians never lost a battle against the Romans. Every time the Romans wanted to go against the Parthians, guess who lost? The Romans. 
And at the time, you had this, this uneasy peace going on between the superpower of the West and the superpower of the East, and smack dab in the middle was Judea, Israel, the land of Jesus, the land uh, where Bethlehem and Jerusalem and the, East, uh, the Christmas story is happening. And this, this, this little country in the middle kind of was like the trip line. It was the borderline where, you know, one, it could go one way or the other. The Jews were, being, were occupied and controlled by the Romans, but it was an uneasy peace. The Jews didn't like being occupied by the Romans, and so in many ways they were like, well, if the Romans are going to be in charge, maybe we'll go and work and help out the Parthians if they invade. And there was this uneasy peace that was brokered, that was kept by this dude called Herod. Herod was called king of the Jews by the Romans, but he wasn't really a Jew. He was an Idumean of the Edomites, if you're familiar with biblical tribes. And he was a pretender. And he set himself up through political intrigue and, and through maneuvering to be the guy that was the king of the Jews. And he stood up as kind of the, hey, I'll be the protector against the possible Parthian threat. I'll be the one that will stand there, be on the borderline, the, the trip line, if you'd like, of this tension. I'll stand there and protect you from the invasions, the possible invasion from the east. Now, in the story, we're going to be talking about the wise men, the magi, the three kings, and I want you to understand a little bit about them. The magi were a class, of, a group of, of sorcerers, magic, but they weren't necessarily, they were kind of religious leaders who had political, uh, political uh, impact in society. They were like a priestly class that were not only provided communications to the leadership uh, regarding what the gods were saying, but also they, they were acted as magistrates, uh, making sure the laws of the land were passed. And, and the group of the, mag, of the magi formed this council called the magistrates that had the function of, of identifying and confirming the king of the land. Literally, the magi were the kingmakers. Hold on to that. The magi were considered the kingmakers in the empire of Parthia. So let's read the story together. Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, we've talked about King Herod already, magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Now, why would he be disturbed? Well, well, first of all, these dudes, these, these ruling guys from the east, from Parthia, have come through. So, first of all, there's this bit of a panic. Oh, are the Parthians coming? Are we being invaded by this, this, this rival empire now? It was that worry. But also, guess what they do? They serve as what? The kingmakers. And they come asking, hey, uh, we saw this star, and as the kingmakers, we want to confirm the king of the Jews. And Herod's like, well, wait a minute. I'm the king of the Jews, and I'm being established by the Romans, but you are from Parthia, and you're saying you want to establish who's the king of the Jews. Do you see why everyone was a little upset, including Herod, and a little troubled by what was happening? Now, I want you to we typically think about the, the kings as three, 
and the wise men is three, but we really don't know how many they were. We know there were more than one because it talks of them in plural, but they could have been seven, it could have been 13, it could have been two. We know they give three gifts, but that doesn't necessarily mean that there are three magi. And secondly, a lot of times in the pictures we see on our Christmas cards, they're like just three dudes walking on a camel, right? And we think, oh, they were just kind of taking an Uber camel from, from, from the east and coming in, you know, kind of discreetly. No, they wouldn't have been there discreetly. They would have come with armed guards. They would have been quite an entourage. It would have been obvious when they arrived in Jerusalem. Why? Because the whole city was like, oh, who are these guys? What's happening? When, he, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet, Old Testament prophet, has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler. Again, it's not a savior, right? Remember I said Matthew's intent is not to talk about Jesus the Savior, but Jesus is the king. Out of you come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Now, those of you familiar with the, re- the full story, no, that was not his tent. He wanted to find the child so he could kill the child, seeing the child as a rival. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. Notice that he doesn't say uh, in the manger. Why? Because Jesus is no longer in the manger. There's obviously been some time since Jesus' birth, and now he and his mom and dad are living in Bethlehem, that's their hometown, and Jesus is more than likely a year plus old. He's a little baby toddler, right? Anyway, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. What's that all about? They were giving gifts that indicate royalty. They saw the star. They are the kingmakers who are coming to confirm the king, and the confirmation of the king is done through the giving of gifts. Gifts worthy of a king. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Very, very expensive, costly items. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, why? Because Herod was out to kill Jesus. They returned to their country by another route. As you read this text, there's no doubt what Matthew is communicating here. He's saying, look, this child is not only the Savior, this child will only, not only be the means by which God will save His people and the whole world. No, this child will be ruler, Lord of Lords, King of Kings. And if you are going to accept this child as Savior, you will also have to understand that it means accepting Him as Lord, leader. And not only will be the recipients of the blessings following Him, what that comes with, forgiveness of sin and life and all the good things we talk about, but also will come the commitment to follow Him and to live by His Word and to follow His will. 
And Matthew writes the story basically to pose a question. Who will you be? Will you be the pretender, Herod? Or will you be like the kingmakers, the magi? When you are introduced to Jesus, who will you be? Will you be Herod, the pretender? Or will you be the Magi? I put it this way. The Magi's Christmas question for us today is this. Is Jesus your leader? Is Jesus your leader? And I want you to think about that. And I want you to wrestle with that because that has to be wrestled. You know, Jesus did exactly the same thing, posed the same question, and he did it this way. Whenever when people were following him and there was a lot of hoopla about him because he was performing miracles and he was challenging the establishment and he was promising life and they were calling him the Messiah, the Savior, he would turn around and say, well, if you want to follow me, you've got to take up your cross and follow me. And a lot of times we've misunderstood that as saying, well, that means that in order to follow Jesus, you have to carry this burden and suffer and blah, blah, blah. And, and while that may be true in some ways, it's not what Jesus was saying. What Jesus was basically saying, if you want to follow me, you have to be willing to die to self in order to follow me as your leader. The cross was an instrument of execution. What you execute when you follow me is your own desires, your own will, your own passion to be your own leader. You have to be willing to deny the temptation of Satan when he came to the woman in the garden and said, by the way, you should eat because God really doesn't have your best interests at heart, take it on yourself because you have a, can figure out a better way to find happiness in your relationships, in the way you manage your money, in the way you are as a husband, in the way you are as a wife, in the way you are as a child, in the way you are in your relationships with people and how you deal with hurts and wounds. You can find your own way outside of what God calls you to do in the way you manage your money. See, that is where Jesus is Lord. That's where it lives. You know, we're on the cusp of a new year. And if you're like me, you start to think about the year past and look forward to the year ahead. And I would ask that if you are here because you are a Jesus follower, that you just do an evaluative uh, assessment now and think about your year past and ask yourself uh, does, the, does, the, does the evidence show by my life that Jesus is my leader? Does the way I go about living, does that show that Jesus is my leader? If I was to go to court on the charge of being a Jesus follower would there be enough evidence to convict me? As someone who learns and lives Scripture, as someone who's obedient to the call of, of God, to love God and to love people, of someone who loves my neighbor as myself, forgives those who hurt me, who prays for those who, who persecute me, who, who honors God in purity in, my, in the way I operate, would there be enough evidence to prove that Jesus is your leader? 
And as you think about that, then say, okay, that's an evaluative conversation that I need to have, perhaps prayerfully, and maybe now I need to think about 2021 as I'm moving forward and as I think about following God in my life and the commitments that I make. I, I've said Jesus is Lord. I come to church. I proclaim it with my mouth. I sing the songs. I read my Bible. I'm trying to do it. Well, then maybe the next question is, okay, then how will Jesus be my leader in 2021? Where do I need to let go? Am I so racked with fear that I failed to live for God? Am I so wanting to control things and get it my way that I'm unable to trust that sometimes God asks me to do something that uh, may not be what I understand, but I have to trust that He has my best interests at heart and it may require me to be patient, to wait, to suffer, to endure difficult times, but God is my leader and I trust in Him? You know, one means of evaluation is to think about the wise men, the, the magi. How do we know that they, they acknowledged Jesus as king? Well, it says they worshipped him, but they demonstrated in action. They sacrificed significantly through the giving of gifts that acknowledged Jesus as king. Well, I think there is a good evaluative tool, one that I look back and say, okay, where is it that I have been, able, been giving gifts from the king for the purposes of acknowledging, worshiping my king Jesus? Where do, I, where do I sacrifice? Where am I giving in order to honor Jesus? You see, when we give to the king, when we acknowledge Jesus as Lord, it's witnessed by actions of sacrifice and gifting. You know, funny, remember the story of Zacchaeus, the tax collector that was stealing money, and Jesus meets him in Jericho, comes down the sycamore tree, and, and then it says what? Zacchaeus uh, gives his life to Jesus as Lord, he becomes a follower of Jesus, and how is that demonstrated? He gives away like a third of his wealth like, to the poor. He gives gifts that match his acknowledgement of Jesus as King. You know, it's been absolutely humbling to watch how you at Mount Carmel Christian Church, how you have given gifts faithfully during difficult times, have given gifts to acknowledge Jesus as your King. And it's been incredible. I, I just want to share with you just a few things. Just this past, since this past 30 plus days, things that, that have been, we've been able to see kingly gifts go to bless kingdom work. Because of your faithfulness, um, we were able to send a special gift of $5,000 to CRAM, Christ Reaching Asia Mission, specifically for their work in the Philippines in a place called the Sharon House. The Sharon House is a ministry outreach to teenage girls in the Philippines who are living on the fringes of society, who are in extreme danger because of abuse and neglect or whatever, extreme danger of finding themselves in the, in the sex trade industry in a life of abuse and, and destruction that, that is not going to turn out well. 
Well, Sharon House provides a place, a stopgap for these girls where they can be cared for and they can be taught the truths of Scripture, the basic message of Christianity that says you value to God and because if you walk with God, you have value to give in life. You do not have to become a prostitute. You don't have to, to live this way, but instead you can be elevated out of the mire because of God's grace and you can make a life that's truly worth living. Because of your faithfulness, we were able to give a special $1,600 gift to the Southwest India Mission for the purchase of vehicles, their repairs, and needed work on their mission compound uh, in, in Southeast India, where the work of, of spreading the message of Jesus has become very difficult. Sent another $1,600 to Bethlehem Living Water Mission, which works in central India. We sent $2,000 to the Russell School of Ministry. Russell School of Ministry is one of the last... It's, it's one of the things that have left over from Cincinnati Christian University. We used to have a, a ministry training uh, college here in our, in, our, in our city, which got closed down. One of the things that have been left out of that is the actual school that trained up ministers. I don't know if you know this, but there is an extreme shortage in our country of individuals who are trained for ministry. There's an extreme shortage. And so to support this work, this, this new work, they're, only, they're barely a year old, to be able to give them a gift as they invest in, in young men and women, not so young men and women, who are responding to the calling to serve in the church full-time, give their life to that mission, has been an extreme uh, honor and privilege as they are trained up in scriptures and they are, they're invested in and preparing them for ministry. Uh, and because of your faithfulness, because of your, we're able to give them a special gift. As part of our Serve Cincinnati effort, one of our men's one with three discipleship groups built needed storage shelves, gifts fit for a king for the interparish ministries down the road in, in Newtown. Due to COVID, we're unable to help prepare and serve meals like we usually do to the residents of City Gospel Mission, downtown Cincinnati. So we're able to, because of your generosity, because of your faithfulness, because of your, your, your acts of kindness to the king, we're able to send 100 chicken dinners down for the residents there. Definitely chicken dinners are fit for a king, wouldn't you say? Yeah, it depends which chicken, but it's so good. A young adult group took it upon themselves to collect and send 100 food boxes for Scarlet Hope Ministry. Scarlet Hope started in uh, Louisville with the passion of, of, of a young lady who had this sense that God was calling her to reach out to women who were in the sex trafficking or the sex industry of her city. And that, that ministry started in Louisville and has spread to various cities. We were able to basically put together food boxes, a young adult group, 20, uh, 20-somethings group, food boxes would then go to these ladies to minister to them, to support them, to help them, and, and hopefully walk with them out of that lifestyle into a lifestyle that honors God. Yes, sir, we did our giving tree, but we had to do our giving tree differently because of COVID. The major difference is, is that we didn't collect gifts. Usually we have tags that have gifts that have been listed by the families that we help, and then we get those gifts, we bring them here, and we distribute them to them. Well, we couldn't do it this year because of COVID stuff. Instead, we said, let's collect gift cards. And those gift cards would then be able to go to these families who would then purchase the gifts for their kids. There are many families who are not only, who are dealing with economic difficulties because of the season we're in. 
We were able to collect, because of you, uh, $9,000 in gift cards that went to 66 families and 216 kids. In addition to the gift cards, every family received a Christmas cookie kit with at least two cookie mixes, marshmallows, hot chocolate, icing, and sprinkles. And I'm telling you, the, not only did the cards were a hit, but these, these, cookie, uh, these Christmas cookie kits were a big hit with these families during this time. Many of the families we helped this year were unemployed due to COVID and recovering from personal illness. Half the families we helped were new to the giving tree, to kind of give you an insight as to where to you. I'm going to share a couple of stories that the Ruhlman family who administered giving tree this year passed along to me. They talked about a mother who was overcome with joy that she was able to have the gift card to buy gifts for her daughter. One of the things that her situation, she was in a situation, she was unable to get a, a tree and the tree she was, get, did get her hands on didn't have lights on it. And so she tried to figure out as best she could try to fix that. Well, our team, the Romans heard about that. And so in their Christmas cookie kit, uh, guess what she had? Lights. As well as special unicorn sprinkles. What are those? I don't know. But apparently the daughter was gaga over that and, uh, and really was a hit. Said that the small things like Christmas lights and unicorn sprinkles really made their day. Another family assisted, and this is, this is kind of a, a situation that we saw on a regular basis. We assisted impacted by COVID. Mom had just recently got out of hospital for being in there 22 days. And the whole family had been sick with COVID. And so being able to assist the family with gift cards so they didn't have to go shop and they didn't have to worry about this was just a major, major blessing. Appreciation and gratitude, they said, and relief that was brought to these families was a blessing in itself. This different approach, we had to do it differently this year, the different approach of being able to give them gift cards, which allowed them families to go in through the fun and joy of shopping for themselves, was a major blessing and we received a number of thank yous and God bless yous because you were willing to acknowledge Jesus as king through your support of this. The Magi chose Jesus to be their king, and their gifts of generosity showed that. When Jesus is the king of our lives, when Jesus is the king of our lives, our lives will bear witness in the expressions of allegiance to the king. This year, 2021, will Jesus be your leader? Will Jesus be your leader? Now I'm going to ask uh, if you would, if you have grabbed your communion cup, and I'm going to go backstage and grab mine because I forgot to get it. <laughs> As we take communion, this is a practice that Jesus uh, commanded us to do every time we gather to do this in remembrance of him. And he said, basically, the bread represents his body, which was broken on the cross. We remember the sacrifice Jesus made for our lives so that we could be made right with God through faith. And the juice represents his shed blood that was the means by which a new agreement, a new way was provided, a way that we know is the only way to be right, made right with God, not by our works and our effort, but by faith in him. And while we take these, we remember the salvation that we receive in Jesus, but also it's important for us to remember that Jesus is not only Savior, forgiver, He is Lord, He's leader.
And I ask that as we take communion today, as we remember the gift that Jesus is, let us remember the clear message that we have to make decisions on a daily basis to acknowledge Jesus as King. We, in many ways, are called to pledge allegiance to the King Jesus. So let's take the bread. Let's take the juice. Lord in heaven, we thank you for this uh, time we can share and be reminded of the story of the Magi. And I pray that the, the challenge of the Magi through Matthew will be clearly heard. While Jesus is Savior and we celebrate that truth with all our heart, I pray that you would help us to remember that he is also Lord and is called to be our leader and has called us to live by his word and to operate by his will. Help us to do that, Lord, because we have a hard time with it sometimes. And I'm so grateful for your spirit whom you give to help resource us in that. I pray that this 2021 will be a year in which we will acknowledge our allegiance to Jesus in so many more aspects of our life. It's in his name we pray. Amen. God bless. Have a great new year. See you next year. You can find out more about us on the web at mtcarmelchurch.org.